eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy hockey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Spits and Suds on 105.3 The Fan. I'm Gavin Spittle and joined by two-time Stanley Cup champion Craig Ludwig. How are you today, my friend? Oh, not too bad. Another dreary day in dallas uh chilly out here on the lake i think it's like 33 degrees so i'm waiting to see some snowflakes so this is a big weekend for you coaching wise right you guys are heading toward the playoffs or what's happening yeah we uh our season um what we do we travel around the country and so we play in a couple different leagues and uh so when the kids had a they had a good year. I mean, I, I think for, you know, and this is kind of a big step. They're 17, 18 year old kids and they're looking to get uh, moved on to whether it's junior hockey or, and then ultimately, I think, well, ultimately is always playing in the big league, but I think they're, you know, you look at the college situation. So if they can, you know, whether it's a scholarship or whatever and get onto a college team, but uh, we finished, I think we finished the season. I believe we're in the top 10 in the country so I mean that's a good accomplishment for for these guys with their 300 and some teams around the country that play so they had to go to but this is our uh, our regional weekend so it ends up being in our region we have uh, the district or whatever we want to call it is Colorado uh, there's a team from California uh, Arizona and us and so uh, we played yesterday um, probably the week well, for sure, the weakest team that we're going to play a team out of California. And we won that game. And now today we've got a game against a former college, uh, teammate of mine, Dougie Smale, who played in the NHL for 10, 12 years, mainly with Winnipeg jets. And then tomorrow, um, we will be playing a team out of Phoenix, um, which again, uh, two former NHL guys, one, one that played here for a bit, Ray Whitney is coaching. And oh, Dave yeah. Ellett. Yeah, Dave Ellett and Ray Whitney coached that team. So, And then uh, what they do is it's a round-robin kind of deal. And, uh, um, you know, the winners will ultimately play on Sunday at uh, – winners with the best record uh, play on Sunday for the championship. So and that gets you to nationals, um, although we, we probably, because of where we finished uh, the year and the rankings – uh, we still have a shot at 
uh, if we don't win, we, I think, you know, they take like an at-large bid mm -hmm. and being that you're, you know, one of the top teams in the country, you still might have a, a lifeline. So we'll see mm -hmm. how it goes. How much fellowshipping do you do with those former NHLers before the game, after the game? What was that? How much what? Fellowship. You know, I mean, fellowship. You, yeah, fellowship. <laughs> how much? How much chatter do you do with those guys? Oh well, we we play against each other quite a bit during the year. Uh, you know, we travel to, to Phoenix. They come here. We play in Colorado. They come here. So we we see them. Um, this is probably the the weekend that might be a little bit more serious because there's more on the line, which doesn't. <laughs> we're not playing the games, you know. So. Um, so we, and we and it's funny we always seem to meet in the airports too. We, we go on weekends and you know we always seem to run into the coaches that are at a main hub. You know whether you're in Denver, Chicago, or St. Louis, you know you got that main hub and every you're always there early. So there's always time to sit down and have a couple and you know talk about the weekend and things like that. So we we see each other quite a bit, but um, but once the games are on, there's a few scowls that go back and forth. You know, so those, nice. those playing against each other days come back. So you coached Seth Jones. You coached Blake Coleman. I'm trying to think of some other players, but what player on your team did you think? I mean, when you saw Seth Jones, when you saw Blake Coleman, did you think they were going to go to the show? And was there a player that you remember that you coached against in this league that you said, that guy is going to be really good? <clears throat> Well, I mean, it's all relevant, um, you know, when you're, you see 17, 18-year-old kids playing against each other, and there's always some that stand out. Uh, I, I think that over the years of doing this, I kind of I, I kind of keep my comments to myself because I'll go, oh, man, this kid's going to play. And then you find out a couple of years later that he never did. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things that go into it. A lot of it, you know, do they want to? Um, you know, they may be great out there, but maybe they don't have that same drive. Um you know, with Seth, with, you know, his, his family background and his dad being a professional athlete in basketball. And, you know, you could, you could tell his demeanor. Um, he was focused and, and always dialed in for games all the time. And Blake, Blake, probably not so much as a younger player, but as we got him a couple of years later, um, you weren't sure uh, the, the skating was there and the way he wanted to play the game and the way he, um, approached every game uh the way he competed uh the compete was always in him and i still see it i was watching them last night they, they played last night and uh they beat uh tampa uh, last night 4-1 and um blake is now with uh, it's funny because they played against tampa and blake was signed to the, with a free agent uh with the flames and now just so happens calgary is one of the best teams in the league so we'll see if it's the blake coleman effect but um you see things but it's a long path and, you know, there's thousands and thousands of kids in this, uh, in this sport around the world, actually, that, that are trying to get to the same spot, you know, and there's only 750 jobs. So um, the reality is you're not going to make it, um, you know, so you just kind of, you look at some of these guys that probably didn't come through the conventional neighborhoods, you know, the St. Louis's and Canada, uh, Chicago, you know, then big cities where they have, uh, you know, the traditional markets. And so it's nice to see some guys come out of here and make it. You know, I was asking you that also for a purpose because I'm sure at like 16, 17, even 
when he was drafted, there were so many questions about Blake. Cole, I'm sorry, Blake Coleman, Jason Robertson, and picked in the second round by the Stars, kid out of California, went to Canada to improve his game, and it's just fascinating because if you look at his game, and this is going to be a bad comparison because you played with him, Craig, so you probably think differently, but. Obviously, Brett Hull has had an amazing career. But what I mean is, is the puck always found Brett Hull, or Brett Hull always seemed to be in the right place. It's just that sniper mentality. And I just feel as though the puck finds Jason Robertson. Awful comparison? It's hockey sense. I I think that's what I look at it. You know, um, Hully was... Holly's a shooter. I mean, that, that's what he was. And, and that's where I think they're different. Um, and, and, it, and it doesn't mean that just because Brett Hull played with Adam Oates and Mike Madonna that he was a Hall of Famer. And I don't mean to say it that way, but, you know, it, I think it's kind of fair to say about a lot of players. You need to be in the right place at the right time. You need to be on the right team philosophy-wise. Uh, you need to play with the right players. And, and I think for Holly, he played with the right players. And would Holly have scored 700-plus goals if he played with the Arizona Coyotes? Probably not, um, because he didn't have the puck distributors that, that could put him right where he wants them. And, but now, and again, I'm not taking anything away from Holly because he, he'd still be scoring goals. Um, he just may not have gotten them where he wanted them to be at certain times in certain spots on the ice. Um, you know, would, would Alex Ovechkin be chasing Wayne Gretzky in the, in the record for most goals, you know, ever, if he didn't play with Nicholas Backstrom, mm-hmm. um, you know, though they, you gotta be in the right place at the right time and play with the right guys sometimes. Yeah. Um, with Robertson, his hockey, hockey IQ is, you know, he seems to know what he's going to do with the puck before he gets it because he doesn't have the puck long when he does have it right it's it's off his stick it's it's to somebody else it's i don't have space i chip it in behind uh i get it to the net i mean i, I think a good example is when he comes in on his shootouts i mean if every goalie in the league doesn't know what he's doing right now he goes five hole and you know like again you can't do that every single time but he does it seems like but he, it, it's so quick his hands are so quick and he just sees that spot and he can get it. His hands seem to be as quick as his mind is. Yeah. And, um, you know, he knows he's got a nose for the net. He's around it. He's got a quick release that doesn't allow goaltenders or defensemen that's trying to get a stick on it, get in the lane. It, you know, they're probably going, shit, I was right. I was just about there. There's probably a lot of just about when you're playing against them. I was just about there. I just about got across. Or, you know, it, I, I almost knocked that pass down. I could have had it if I was just a little bit quicker. I, I just think that he's, I think he's, he's probably almost like, you know, some of the elite players are kind of like NASCAR drivers. And when you talk to a driver, um, you know, they'll tell you, especially when there's an accident up ahead and everything slows down for him. Like it, it goes from, you know, 150 miles an hour to 15 miles an hour. And they're able to navigate through tires and, and fenders flying over in a cloud of smoke. And somehow these guys come out of it. And I think for these elite players, 
those games just the, the plays just slow down for them. And, uh, you know, and again, confidence comes with them. And it's, it's like the, they have Velcro with the puck in the, in the stick play. Yeah, it's amazing the things that they can do. And I think, you know, and, and Hintz is the same way. Uh, and you'll just watch the way John Klingberg plays. Some of the, some of the things that Klinger does, you wonder how he gets away with some of those things offensively because there's a lot of guys that have taken runs at him and, and they just haven't gotten there. So, yeah. um, you know, these, there's just such so many of these players, especially in today's game, they have a gift. That's what it is. You know, the timing of this Miro Haskinen mononucleosis is fascinating a, because they're making a playoff run, but B I make the argument that, I think this truly will show the value of John Klingberg to this club. I mean, granted, Miro's the guy. Miro plays the minutes. Miro can play in any situation. But I believe the Stars can maintain themselves better with John, a healthy John Klingberg more than if Klingberg was out of the lineup and Miro was in. Well, I, I, I mean, for me, I think we've seen the value of Klingberg, haven't we, over six or seven years? We have, I mean, but you, you know, Craig, that once it's out there, that player wants to be, you know, paid or player requests trade, that's when fans turn. Not you or I, I'm just saying. Well, if, if Klingberg didn't want eight million a year and yeah. he wanted five and a half or six million would there be all this talk right now no he'd be signed exactly and i think that's because they know what kind of player they have they, again, today's game is about the cap and it, it's 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 the life these guys live in and from a managing management managerial standpoint and a player standpoint and, and i think you know Klinger's seen the writing on the walls we saw we talked about this before right he, he, he's been underpaid probably for, especially over the last, what, three, four years, whatever it is. And, and I think he wants to, he, he wants Dallas to pay him back for what he wasn't paid, you know, three, four years ago. And that's not the way it works, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, just, you watch him, John Klingberg does things that Miro can't do. I mean, I don't know if there's anybody else on the stars team that has as much poise with the puck coming through the ice. Um, and you know, and again, he, yes, he makes mistakes and yes, he hangs on to it sometimes too long. We've had this, we used the Zubov thing before, you know, there were, there were times, I mean, like I said, you know, out of, of the 10 things that Zuby did with the puck and going through the middle of the ice and passing cross ice and through traffic, maybe two of them didn't connect. So you just let those guys do what they do. You know, and again, um, John Klingberg, whoever gets him. Uh, you know, and I know there's been talk about Carolina and Toronto and, I, and I'm looking, I mean, thinking Toronto, you know, unless Klingberg can put some goalie pads on and, and, and be a goaltender, I don't know if that's what they need. They're, they're going to help. He would definitely help a Marner and a Matthews, you know, the bunting, that line that they have right there that, I mean, he's going to help on the power play. John Klingberg is going to help any team offensively, but if you're going to get him, you need to have, just like I was talking earlier, you have to have the Brett Halls. You have to have the Robertsons that can translate what John Klingberg can do. And, and if you feel that you're comfortable with your other five defensemen that can take care of the other two thirds of the rink, he's a perfect player, but you know, for him to go to a bottom four, bottom five, bottom 16, which I don't think he wants to do that anyways, because he's played in this league. He knows what he brings. He wants a championship. 
And a lot of people will say, well, that championship's right here. Well, I, I don't know if it's right here. I mean, it, 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 I don't think it's as close. The, Dallas, is to me, is not as close. And I, it, it's fair to say, they're not as close to winning a Stanley Cup as is, uh, Colorado, is, is Carolina, is Tampa, is Florida. But, you know, do those, te- those teams probably don't need a John Klingberg. You know, so he has, him and his agent are going to have to look if he does leave. And who knows, they could be working on something. I don't know. I mean, like I said, if they're working on something for Joe Pavelski, the same thing. I mean, yeah. who, who, do you, who do you want? You know, is, well, is Joe, Joe, Joe to me is, get, I mean, I don't know how you can let him go, but right. Joe's a short term, just, just because of his age and everything, a couple of years, a couple of good years left, right? John Klingberg might have four or five good years left. Do you believe that your team is going to be there? I mean, is, you know, because the torch is being passed right now, right? I mean, from Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, I mean, it, it's Henson Robertson. Um, from Ben Bishop, uh, Hugh Dolbin, uh, you know, Marty Turco, Ed Belfort, it's Ottinger. So th- it's being torn. I mean, it, it, you've got those guys. Do you have the defensemen? I, I'm believing that they're going to say that it's going to be Miro, but I don't know if Miro's going to ever be able to do what John Klingberg does. I, I don't know. Is he going to be able to run a power play like John Klingberg? I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, hopefully he's, you know, once he got mono now, so hopefully that doesn't sideline him too long, but I, I know it's not something that you come back quick from. So You know, they could pull off what Tampa did where, so Miro basically frees up. Uh, let's see if I look at it. Miro frees up uh, about just under uh, 1.7 in cap. Yeah. If he comes back for the playoffs, that salary cap is is fine. So you could yeah, pick well, up. Well, just, just ask Tampa and, and Vegas about that. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I would do. That's what I would do. I'd go out and get a defenseman and then, well, I mean, because you're looking at mono, you're looking at four to six weeks. Well, what you're thing. doing, when you go out and get a defenseman, if you go out and, what is there, six, seven days left in the trade deadline, and, are you getting them because you think you're a Stanley cup team or are you getting them for a replacement for John Klingberg down the road? Well, that, that, that's what I think you have to, I mean, is John going to be gone? So, I mean, and, and if you, you ha- again, what do you got to give up for him? Right. Because again, in this salary cap era, draft picks are King. And so are you going to get um, a first rounder? I don't know if you're going to get a first round pick for John Klingberg. I don't know, but, but if you, I mean, if Jim Neal can pull that off, God bless him. If they do decide to move him, or you have to look at this and go, sometimes you just keep your, you have your own rental right now. I mean, if you go ahead and let's just use a uh, Claude Giroux in Philly, you know, he, you know, he's, he's a guy that I think a lot of teams and he controls where he wants to go. Patrick Kane, uh, Jonathan Taze, uh, Flurry, these guys all control where they want to go, but, and their names that are being banged around, but are they going to be with your club long-term? I mean, if you, if I'm Colorado and Joe Sackett, and I'm sure there's a few other teams that'd be saying the same thing, how do we get flurry? Because I don't know if I trust what Colorado has for goaltenders. The Kemper has been so-so for me. Friend so, so-so, <laughs> friend so-so. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, and again, <clears throat> Toronto, man. They don't know what's going on. I mean, they're, they, they've given up, I don't know, 20-some goals in their last three or four games. 
you know, but they're scoring goals. They're winning. They're scoring five or six, but that's not going to happen in the playoffs typically. Well, I mean, if I'm playing general manager, let's just throw this out. Ottawa left-handed defenseman Nick Holden. Is he John Klingberg? No. But it's 1.7 this year against the cap, 1.3 next year. So you do get him for next year, and that's a borderline top four defenseman. I think yeah, it's a, I was going to say, what does he do? Well, that's oh, what I'm who, saying. Who, it's not John Klingberg. It's, it's but not, whose place is he taking on the Dallas Stars? Sekera. Well, he's not playing anyways. Well, I, I understand that. I understand that, but well, you got you got to replace him. Well, you're not going to bring him in and replace somebody that's not playing. So I, are you I'm, I'm saying with Hockenpah, Lindell. Uh, Here, here's well, here's what I'm doing. Here, here's 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 my Jim Nil situation. I trade for him. A couple mid round picks. I insert him with Hockenpah's that third pairing of defensemen when Miro comes back. So I have real solid third-pairing defenseman, and I get him next year, which bolsters my defense, and then I go out and get a puck-moving defenseman for 4 to $5 million to replace Klingberg. Is he going to be Klingberg? No. But my issue all along is I think people believe that Klingberg, that Haskinen can be Klingberg, and I have not yet seen that. He's not. That's what I said. He is not going to be able to do the things – offensively thread a needle in the offensive zone on a power play um be able to dance his way through the neutral zone and send in a robertson uh kind of thing shake one guy off get somebody to come to him dish it off pull pull a, somebody out of you know a defensive position he's not going to be able to do that miro miro plays in straight lines for me i mean he can go east west but he he is speed that's what he does. He defends well. I would like him to be a little bit tougher to play against in his own zone in front of the net, but maybe that's just not him. And again, that 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 part of the game has changed a little bit too, but it's funny. Every every Stanley Cup team seems to want to go out and get that. You know, I look at Tampa, they go out and get uh, Bogosian and, uh, you know, guys like that. So they they kind of strengthen their, their back end with some – because they can't get – I mean, they already got Hedman, so they don't need one. So – I mean, are you going to get rid of Hedman and bring John Klingberg in there? And that that's not no. that's not an even swap for me. No. I mean, no. Hed, Hedman's a Norris guy every year. I, I think um, some team, if 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 he becomes a UFA, I think a, the teams will be five years, forty million for Klingberg. Yeah, that puts uh, that yeah. that puts him at that puts him at uh, thirty five, thirty six. Yeah, and again. You know, so you're willing to you're willing to pay a guy in the last couple years of his career that you don't know what he's going to be like. Um, Although, you know that that's what I mean. That that's always a struggle for me is you know you're paying these guys this money and you can you can you can finagle the the salary, you know yearly salary how you want. You may get more up front and then it dwindles. You know maybe the last couple of years he's only making four and a half or five again. You know so I'm sure they can figure that out (laughs) but um you know the other thing that you got to think of is in the last couple years with the way everything's gone um teams and we know that the league overall is is in the hole as far as revenue goes um just because of the shutdowns and everything 
And the team, there's a lot of teams that haven't recovered financially either. So you move John Klingberg. Again, I say that's that's why this is a tough, tough spot for any general manager because you're up. Yes, you're in the you're in the playoffs today. And they've got a better chance today than they did three weeks ago of getting into the first round and being able to go up against a juggernaut like Colorado. Although they seem to be the one team that can consistently give them a hard time. Um, but I don't know if that means they're getting to the finals again. But do you, like, to me, it's a tough decision because how important it is, is it to the owner to get a couple rounds or at least three or four games of home box office money coming off of the last couple of years. Uh, to me, that's, I got to believe they're like, okay, we trade John Klingberg and we get your guy back. I don't know if that means that that's helping them advance in the playoff. Completely agree. Yeah, what does that do? What does that do to the power play? So I tweeted yesterday oh, that boy, you I did. I did. I should have tagged you. Why don't you ever retweet me by the way? my bustling hockey knowledge. I, I don't, I don't need to get in more trouble than I'm in putting <laughs> things out on social media. Okay. Tom Gallardi has owned the team for 11 playoff seasons. Now I tell stars fans, this you've got to put yourself as the owner of the business for this to make sense. 11 playoff seasons, the NHL, as you mentioned, Craig is in the hole right now. It does not get that TV money that the NFL or MLB gets. So, therefore, what is the major revenue source? It is gate, especially playoff gate. That's when the owners can make back a lot of their revenue. So, in 11 years, the Stars have only brought in three postseason gates because the other one was the bubble where they went on that Stanley Cup run. So if I'm Tom Gillardi, I am not approving any trade of John Klingberg unless it's an absolute haul, which it will not be. Because I need to make the playoffs. I deserve to make the playoffs. I came to this town when the Stars were struggling as far as ownership. I'm the one that bid. I'm the one that's doing things in the community. It's time for my time. It's time for my playoff gate. That's me, if I'm Tom Gillardi. I, that, that's my whole point. And the one year they go to the finals, there's no nobody in attendance. No, no gate. Yeah, they lost a ton of revenue that year. Absolutely. And, and you know, and this goes back years, and I don't know what it is now, but and it, I couldn't believe it the first time that I um, had heard it, was ownership, they don't make any money until your team gets to the third round. Basically, that's a break out, break even round. Mm-hmm. I I can't, you know. Again, I'm sure that that I can't believe that that's with every team. But then again, the bottom 10, 12 teams don't they're they're not spending as much money because they don't have those kind of players. Correct. That's why they're at the bottom. So maybe that is where it is. So, you know, yeah. and, and, and you're and right, Craig. About- and, and we do need to remind people that Dallas is not the largest as far as like a TV market. It's not one of the original sixes, yet Tom Gillardi has spent like a top market. So I want to give him credit. They are up against the cap. Whether their cap management is right or wrong, they have an owner that is willing to spend. Yeah, and I think he's been I think he's been a guy 
I, I don't, I have no clue how involved he is, if he is at all, when it comes to trades and signing free agents. I know that back in our day, you know, the general manager did his thing, but when there was going to be a Brett Hall here, you know, Tom Hicks signed off on it, you know? Yep. Okay. You know, those kind of guys, they, they approved because those are those guys and they know the dollar amounts you got, you're going to throw out there. So, um, but yeah, I, I just look at what, what Tom has done every year. It seems like he allows them to spend to the cap. I've never heard, and there could be, uh, there could be something internal, but when, when you go to, you know, any, any of the websites that show you salary cap, um, they're, they're right at the top. So they're, he's allowing them, his people underneath them, starting with the general manager, here you go. And at some point you better be right. You know, uh, otherwise you won't be here. And, right. you know, so, the, and again, Tom Glarty's business. I mean, when you look at the restaurants and the hotels, my knowledge, those things took a hit in the last couple of years, sure. especially in Canada, you know, because Canada, I don't even know if they're open yet. I know that Toronto, those guys are, are talking. They're starting, you know, the, I think they just went to a hundred percent with, with like Toronto and things like that, as far as attendance, but that 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 country's been shut down solid so there's nobody going out so those guys have you know those those kind of owners that are in those businesses they haven't made any money uh to what they're accustomed to so uh yeah he he has opened his checkbook allowed the stars to spend and say i want a winner here and it hasn't resulted in one uh, when it comes financially and all getting all those gates that, that you want, the one time it does, you, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it because they're playing in a bubble. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's, that's why I look at this and go, it, it, maybe he's not even, maybe he stays out of it, you know, but Hey, Jim, are, you know, what are you doing with Klingberg? Are we moving them? Because right now we're in a playoff spot. If we move them, are we getting a better John Klingberg back? I, if, if there's a better John Klingberg out there, I don't know why a team would give him up. I mean, I know that Chikrin's name has been thrown out there from Arizona, yep. but, but I think that that's going to, you're only getting those guys is what you give up. What's the price to get him? And is the price, are you willing, are, are the teams, like I said, Carolina, Toronto, um, you know, the, the top teams, Colorado, Colorado doesn't need them. But those teams, are they willing to say, you know what, this is our window. New York Rangers, is this their window? Could they use a tick run? Um, you know, is it because here we're, we're going for it. Because well, you don't get many chances to actually go for it. And, and people have to understand when they say, you know, because that's a great name, Chikrin. People have to understand, you know, why would you choose Chikrin, Chikrin tough name, Chikrin over a John Klingberg? Only makes four point five million and has three years left, and he's twenty three years old. Yep. That's what brings you the value back. An expiring contract gets you draft picks. And I mean, look at Matt Zuccarello a few years ago when we acquired him. The Stars gave up a couple of draft picks, but it wasn't hefty. It was worth it, but it wasn't hefty. There's a couple of picks, so that's what you're going to basically get for John Klingberg. And I would make this argument if, once again, I'm 
Tom Gillardi. So we're getting a couple of picks, and I hope that in the next three to four years, this is going to be successful. I mean, because draft picks do not fly up in hockey. I mean, you know that, Craig. I mean, there are the exceptions. Yep. But, you know, I mean, Miro was one. Jacob, uh, you know, Ottinger came up pretty quick. But, you know, then you look at a Riley Tuft who still hasn't established himself, and that was a top pick by the Stars. So, you know, there's no there's no guarantees. Um, I just wanted to ask you really quick, because this is why I love doing the podcast with you. There's been a lot of talk this year with the Stars about, you know, their defensemen playing on their opposite of their natural side. Can you go into that? And did how often did that happen in your career? It, it happened more often because the game wasn't as fast. And when you play, when you play your offside, you're on your backhand more. And number one, I don't think as many players then were as good on their backhand as they are on your forehand. And things get shut down quicker. And you ultimately end up throwing more pucks up the wall, up the boards, which was a great play for us. You know, the, the glass is your friend. You know, I, was, I don't know how many times I was told that in Montreal. Uh, hey, Lud, the glass is your friend. I'm like, good, dude, because it's going high and hard. It's getting out of our zone. <laughs> so, um, you know, in today's game now, a lot has to do with the rules, too. You know, there, there is no more holding up for your partner. You, you really can't do that. You used to be able to just latch on to somebody and basically water ski and hold them up and give them some time to make a play. That doesn't happen now. And the guys are three times as fast now as they were before. So when you're getting the puck on your backhand side, trying to make a play, and when you're making a backhand pass, your back typically is, a, is that's what's facing everybody. So you're not seeing everything like you do when you're looking up ice on your forehand. So, and obviously backhand passes are usually you're not even trying to make a backhand pass because they're so much harder to make. Um, you know, if you're going to make the three foot pass, that's one thing, but you're trying to make a, you know, 10, 15, 20 foot pass to somebody breaking through the middle. You're not going to see many guys, even in today's game, even attempt it. So that's where, you know, and again, the red line, I mean, all these little things that you look at that you think, well, man, what, because the game is just so fast when they took the, the center line out, and there was no two-line pass, and you can make that. And, and now you see all the time you've seen forwards in their own zone fly out of the zone. The rule used to be you don't leave the zone until the puck does. So we're not going to be outnumbered 5-4. When we're playing five-on-five, five, and somebody's on the other side of our blue line taking off trying to get a home run pass, we're not doing that because we if we don't get it out, now it's like a mini power play, or a penalty kill, I should say. Um, so now guys are flying out of the zone all the time. They're stretching out and it stretched the, it, you know, it stretches things out and there's more room, more space, but you're not, you're not hitting those guys with a backhand pass. That's why they want people on their forehand side. So you can hit them in speed and the plays are just easier. It's just easier on your forehand. You know, that there's a reason that the sticks are curved now, you know, because, because you're typically only using that blade 80, 90% of the time on your forehand. And so we can put the curve on it that, you know, that gets you to handle the puck a little better, shoot the puck better, obviously elevate the puck better um, with your forehand. And because it used to, I mean, the six actually there, when I was young, you know, there was a left and right. Then there was a neutral. Like what the hell's a neutral? What's well, hmm. just a straight blade. And my dad actually got him for me because really? he wanted me to be able to, you know, pass and do things on your back end. At least you got to learn that way. Uh, now, I mean, now it'd be just criminal if there was something like that. But anyway, um, that's what it is. Time, 
the passing, the shooting, and you're not on your backhand much. I mean, there's, and there's so many players that are so good on their backhand and they're able to make unbelievable plays on their backhand in tight areas in front of their own net that we would never attempt to play. So let's not say that they don't play on their backhand, but if you ever have a choice to make, making a pass, getting a puck out, you want to be on your forehand. And so that's why they want to keep a lefty and right. And I think that all started when Mike Babcock, uh, he kind of brought that in. I think he was in Detroit and then he went over to the Olympics or whatever it was. And, you know, all the talk was, I want a lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty. And there were some guys that didn't make the team because he had three left-handed defensemen. So he didn't want another left-handed defenseman. He wanted a right hand so I could get, keep my pairs left and right, left and right. You know, and I think that everybody kind of went, oh yeah, well, maybe that makes sense now. So I think that's where it really got publicized. I think how many ever years ago that was. And I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I, I would try to do it with our team. The, the bad news about our team that I, that, that I work with, we have five defensemen that are left-handed. We have one righty one. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And, and we've, <laughs> and the bad news is there, we had too many, we got a couple kids hurt. So we had to take that right-handed defenseman and make him into a forward. So now I got six lefties. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so you just try to find, you know, your most offensively guys that, you know, are good with the puck and, uh, you know, a little bit more skilled and you just put them on their offside and they're going to be better off for it at at some point um, because, you know, they're the guy that can play both sides. And when he gets to his backhand, he might be able to make that pass, you know, that we're talking about on his backhand where the other guys, you know, you don't do it that often, but again, you can't, you can't, I mean, I've had players, uh, you know, this year say, Hey, I'm not comfortable playing here and I get it. I had no way I could, I did for a half a year, but I didn't have to make, I would, I didn't say shit because I was a rookie and I'm thinking, God, these guys say they know me, but they're putting me on the offside with Larry Robinson. That's not going to happen. You know, it didn't take long. And they're like, uh, Larry, you go play the right side. Ludwig can't do it. Well, I could have told you that if you just asked me. So those are knowledge bombs, folks. Why you should, Tell your friends to listen to this hockey podcast. It's Spits and Suds on 105.3 The Fan. I'm Gavin Spittle. He's two-time Stanley Cup champion Craig Ludwig. Uh, A couple of things that happened around the NHL that I wanted to get your thoughts on. I thought Jack Eichel's chirping after the game, Vegas at Buffalo last night, was terrific. (laughs) I thought it's what hockey needs by him saying it took him seven years. (laughs) <laughs> to get that loud. Um, I I mean, listen, the fans gave him a nice ovation, but they were on him as well. I mean, I am one of those people. To me, like any other day, that's not necessarily a tune-in game, but it was a tune-in game. And I will say, I think Buffalo is one of those teams that, you know, <sighs> I don't want to say they're on the up, but they got some nice pieces. It's I say that often though, um, but I mean they're on the up. They they are. They they've got they've got nice pieces. Are you right? Yeah. I mean I think with with that Eichel deal when they got Alex Tuck. Yeah. That's going to make a difference. That that just it's funny when you bring in one player like that. I love that guy. I love that guy. His whole career. I think he was in Minnesota. Started in Minnesota. Yep. And he's a big guy. Centerman skates well. You know he plays physical. Goes to the net. Um, you know, and they've got some, they've got some young guys that has some skill and some talent. Um, so yeah, they, I mean, it's, I don't know if they could get any more down. So it's, it's, yeah, you know, true. it's hard to say they're on the way up, but true. yeah, as far as Eichel goes, trust me, he's had some time to, to think about what he knew he was going to be 
you know, on display. He knew he was going to be going in there doing interviews that morning skate and probably a radio show in the afternoon. But the big one was going to be post game, win or lose. And I just wonder if he would have said the same thing. Would they have won last night? Yeah. You know, maybe he would have. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes when you can go into a team that you go back to and, and, you know, you're that type of a player, I mean, you're a franchise player and, and you win the hockey game. I think you're a little, you know, you're a little easier and you probably say more positive things. You know, we won the game and that's the most important thing, blah, blah, blah. You lose it. And, you know, and then you got, you know, because these reporter guys, they're good. They're, they're sneaky good with some of the questions that they ask. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's like somebody sitting with a hot poker underneath the table and, you know, they're just poking you and poking you. And eventually, you know, you get that one time, you know, it hurts and yell out. And, and so, but I, you know, overall, I, I you know, I get it. I mean, again, look at it. this whole thing was not Jack Eichel. This was an organization. Yes. The organization did the wrong thing with him. All right. he wanted to do is be able to select his own way of going about getting his neck and back fixed. And your body is your right. And they were not allowing him to do that. And um, I just, I, I just wonder how many of their fans there, what their comments were during the time. Cause I don't listen to a lot of that stuff, but I could, you know, diehard fans are diehard fans, but at the, at the same time, you know, he's our star player. He just wants to be able to take care of his body in his own way. And, you know, no, nobody's ever had this done before as a hockey player goes. Um, so anyway, I, I, that whole thing to me could have been handled a lot better from yes. the organizational standpoint. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And, you know, a little known, I mean, well, it is factual, but what I was going to say is, uh, you know, vet former stars killer, Kyle Pozo having a pretty good year for those Sabres. So really good to see i mean he's one of those guys that i just i love I, I, he's just one of those big guys that's always had a good shot just you know finds the puck um good room guy so yeah i'm I'm happy for uh kyle Pozo, and that's good to hear your you feel the same way i look at buffalo i look at detroit on the up i look at anaheim on the up it's good to see that these teams are um you know making progress the other thing i wanted to ask you about was I don't want to call it a skirmish. I mean, there was a lot of dancing. There was one fight. Seemed as though Detroit and Minnesota were exchanging phone numbers more last night. But the goalies did get involved. And anytime there was a goalie skirmish, I am in. And I wanted to know, have you ever been a part of a skirmish where two goalies got involved? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, and do well, you guys it, laugh when that happens or is it, is it a moment where you just grab? Well, typically, typically you don't notice it because it's not like, it's not like the two goalies initiated the fight or a fight or a scrum or anything like that. It's never the goalies. The goalies are always the ones, you know, that are just standing there leaning up against the net and they're like, Oh man, now, you know, it's one thing if there's you know four guys fighting, right. And there, there's a couple guys, you know, two different tandems going off, but when it's, five on five or when then it becomes guys trickle onto the ice which doesn't happen anymore but when it's a five on five thing the goalies just look at each other like hey we're just standing here everybody else is fighting and that somebody feels like they have to you'll never find you know two goalie in the course of a game where <laughs> because they're you can't skate across center ice that that's the thing as far as the goalies go they can't go across center ice so they both go up and share the suspension or whatever it is you know they get to that center line so um but yeah and you know, it's, it's always been kind of pointless for me. I mean, Patrick, 
when Patrick Lois, you know, when, when, when that one, the, between Colorado and, and Detroit, that, that was a good one. Uh, I don't think any of us ever knew that, that Patrick could throw him like that. I think some of the goalies surprise you, but for the most part, they're kind of boring. I mean, but, but then again, think about that. You know, them, you know, those suits that you see at the, uh, what are, you know, the Sumo suit, suits. suits or whatever you call them. Yeah. You know, where you're walking around, you fall down yeah. and somebody's got to help you get up on them. Yeah. They're That's like, what it looks like to me when two goalies <laughs> are fighting, I don't know how they fight yeah. with all that gear on. You know, I don't, I have no clue how they, because I can't even imagine it because they try to get themselves as big as they possibly can with as much protection as they possibly can. I don't know how they move. I don't know how they, you know, any punch is going to land with any effect. Yeah. Yeah. That is a uh, shout out by the way, uh, Panther city lacrosse in uh, Fort worth, because I've seen indoor lacrosse uh, goalies fight and they're basically wearing uh, hockey uh, gear. So um, yeah, it is, it is fascinating. When you get into those scrums, how do you know which player to grab? Or do well, you just do you just grab? grab? The, well, the, the best thing to do is grab grab the goal scorer. That's okay. usually the best way to go. Okay. I mean, don't don't grab the six foot six defenseman that you know. I mean, you you know, it's not. It has nothing to do with which oh which guy do I pick here? You know, going in. Okay. I mean, you know, going in before the game, who the guys are. But do you so, like grab them and say something like "Not today"? No, you can't do that. Okay. You can't do that. No, okay. no, no. It, I mean, and they're really, I mean, there's, I know we had a big one with Philly. There was one with Philly when we were in Montreal. And again, those, those things don't happen anymore. Um, these guys would rather play rock, paper, scissors in the middle of a brawl. I think if they had <laughs> one. So seems to me that's, the, that's the big thing now. Who's the last guy off the ice? Yeah. I mean, we've all seen those things. So I think Sagan and Marshawn have one and, Tyler Sagan always seems to have something with somebody and they're always playing rock, paper, scissors. That's their little dance now. So uh, maybe that's the way that they, they fight. I, I don't know, but I mean, you don't, you don't see that stuff as much anymore. I mean, it's nice to see them and it's a good reminder of what used to happen every night. Uh, well, no, I shouldn't say every night, but just about every night, but you don't see the big brawls. You don't see the goalies yeah. um, get into it. But again, when you talk about Minnesota and Detroit, that's, that's a long time rival, you know, I mean, the, the, those two teams and, They've been playing against each other for a long time. So, and and what you're looking at is you're looking at a team in Minnesota that has hit a rough spot. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were sailing along, right? And then, then things just kind of came unglued for a while. And I think Billy Guerin and those guys and, you know, Dino Evanson, they're, they're trying to get their guys back on track. And um, on the other side of the coin, what Iserman has done with that Detroit team is what I think everybody expected him to do. I mean, he did it with Tampa Bay and then mm-hmm. he decided to walk out the door before they, you know, won a couple championships, but uh, he knew what Tampa Bay was. And then he decided to go to Detroit and go home and, you know, night after night, they be, they're becoming a must watch team like on TV. They, they, they are worth watching uh, because they might not win, you know, every game, but they are exciting they, yeah. and they're young and that that cider, that cider kid for me, that big defenseman number fifty three, uh, he's my rookie of the year. Hmm. Uh, I, I think to play that position um, and to do what he does is pretty impressive. Um, and they've they've got a couple guys here that are up for rookie of the year. Uh, the Raymond kid, um, and I like their captain uh, Dylan Larkin. Yeah, what he he's had a hell of a year this year. So. They are definitely on the rise there in Detroit, and I can see them being somebody that's going to make some some noise in two, three years from now. Great, great for hockey. 
And um, let, let's just back. throw this out there. Klinger's name has been mentioned there. Hmm. And so it would be a spot to go. I, I think it would be a great spot for John Klingberg. I think so the too. The only thing is, it's going to be a while before you're going to win a championship there. Yeah. You know, it could be two years. It could be five years. Yeah. So, uh, but him with the speed and skill that they have, uh, you know, again, it, it, that maybe I don't know. Maybe that's not what he's looking for. Maybe he wants a Carolina. I, I wouldn't blame him. If he does want to leave, if he does leave, I would be looking someplace that, that I can go that, you know, they're, they're talked about in the top four to six teams of, of winning a championship. And on the flip side, Billy Guerin, when it was interviewed on the national broadcast, when they were playing the stars this past weekend, talked about the energy level of his wild squad. So um, I think he probably was glad to see that last night. Oh yeah. No. Oh, for sure. I mean, that, 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 they would probably have loved that to happen two weeks ago when yeah. they were in the middle of the whole thing. Yeah. Like a lot of times you need to find a way to bring the group back together. And when things aren't going the way they're supposed to, the way they have for more than half of the season for Minnesota, and you kind of get on that track where things are going the wrong direction. And, and as you go, you kind of go, okay, we've done this. We've done this. I mean, tip or tip uh, Dino uh, Evanson, the, the head coach, they had a practice uh, about three, four days ago where all they did were face-offs and it was a compete battle drill to get the puck back that, for an hour. Uh-huh. That's all they did were face-offs and they, and they all out brawled, not brawl literally, but they fought to get the puck back. And, and so much of hockey and so much of things that we say to our players is we can tell when we're not on our game, when the 50, 50 puck battles, in other words, when two players are standing there, it's a 50, 50, 50-50, who's going to get the puck? Who's bringing it out of the corner? Who's getting it at center ice when we're losing the majority of them? And, and so what he did, in my opinion, is he created a 50-50 puck battle, a, a practice. And we're going to compete to get the puck because we're, they are now a puck possession team where that Minnesota team never was. They were more play the trap and get the puck in and, and kind of wait and create turnovers. And more teams are, are that way. Look at Carolina. I mean, Jesus. Um, Tampa, all these good teams now, and Dallas is that way too. Everybody in the league is starting to go that. We do it now. I, I've changed my whole philosophy how we play um, to more. You know, you talk about risk reward, and you got to let these guys play with their skill, and and so you put it into places, but you got to be able to get it back. Yeah, and um, you know, so that that's well, that, and, that's the end of the game. And on the physicality front, I mean, when I first when I saw it live, I was like, oh, that's not a good hit by Jamie Ben against Nashville, and clearly it riled the Preds up. Um, the game was physical anyway, but I also when I took a step back, you know, and they were four on four, so it wasn't like, you know, the Stars were shorthanded for long. But I also said to myself, that's the Jamie Ben that I want. So I don't want that to be discouraged because he has been physical and he has sustained that physicality kind of throughout the year. And when Jamie Ben is physical, he's a presence on the ice. Well, we talked about this, I think, in the beginning. And I, I, I felt that when I had asked you, I believe, like when the, when the guys went to the finals in the bubble and stuff, there were three players for me, you know, that if I, if I asked you about who, who stands out for you, um, you know, it was going to be Dolby and it was going to be, Corey Perry, I thought was really good. Um, but, but I really thought that Jamie was the driver of that, 
you, you, he took somebody out every round. He took a player from the opposing team out every yeah. round. Yeah. And, you know, we started with Kachuk, uh, Johnson, defenseman from Colorado. Uh, so, but he, that's who Jamie is. I, we've been, I've been saying this since Jamie got in the league. This is the, the Darian Hatcher effect. I mean, when that's, that's what his MO is. He has to play that way to be the leader that he is. And, and when he does, you know, heads turn and they know he's coming. It does one thing to one bench and it does one thing to another bench. If you're the other bench and Jamie runs a couple guys early, um, they're like, oh shit, Jamie Ben's here tonight. Yeah. And if it's your bench, you're like, all right, Jamie Ben's here tonight. Our captain's here. And he's played like that all year. And, and you know what? I think Jamie's, he may not come off it all, come off all the time the same way, but I think Jamie's a, a smart player. He knows that he's not going to put numbers up like he did, you know, when he was younger, mm -hmm. and, you know, and again, he's not going to do that. And again, I can go to Brendan Morrow too. You know, I think Minnie was that, that guy, the same kind of guy. Brendan played like that every, you didn't have to tell Brendan though. Brendan played like that every shift. Matter of fact, there were times you needed to pull Brendan back and Brendan probably cut his career short yeah. by two, three, four years because of the way that he played. Um, I think of Bobby Bassett, you know, our alumni director, Bass played that same way when he played. Um, but yeah, when Jamie plays that way, and the one thing about Jamie is he can pummel pretty much anybody in the league, you know? So if Jamie's got a fight, even yet now, uh, he's usually going to come out on the right end of it. And that's a momentum swing. You know, that, that, that can swing a team that can swing a game. Um, and when Jamie has to, he does it and he does it well. Bob Bassett was my teammate when the all-star game was here and I played floor hockey with him. Did he stick you in the face? No, man. He was my teammate. I was the enforcer. That doesn't mean he wouldn't stick you. I'd stick you in the <laughs> face with my teammate, but, um, but that was Bass. Bass, man. I, I we were doing this thing, uh, when we played that alumni game last week uh, against the Red Wings, and we, I, I had to kind of moderate a little thing where we had to go back and forth. There were like four Red Wings up there, four of us up there. And I had told Bass, you know, I was looking at him and I was saying, you know, here's our alumni director. And he does a great job for us and all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know, I was trying to think of a word to, to sum up Bobby when I played against him. And what came to mind was Tasmanian Devil. Because you know, everybody knows a cartoon, he just wheels sure. around, and you know, and and that was Bass, and he'd run you over, he'd stick you in the face. He was that guy that was just hard to play against. You watch him take faceoffs, man, he was mean in the faceoff circle, didn't lose any. And if you beat him, you'd know he, you'd know it because he'd he'd chop you in the top of the foot, he'd slash your wrist. And I said, you know, he reminds me of a Tasmanian Devil. And I said, right after I'm done with this thing today and our game's over, um, I'm heading down <laughs> downtown Dallas uh, to the tattoo place. I said, because I actually have a tattoo of a Tasmanian devil with a beer mug in his one hand and a baseball bat in the other one. And I, now every time I look at it and I've said that that's what Bass reminded me of. Now I think of Bobby Bassett all the time when I have to take a shower. So <laughs> it wasn't a really good analogy, but it was the only thing I could come up with at the time. Well, go win the tournament this weekend, buddy. So you can go to nationals. We'll all be rooting yep. for you. If people want to go watch, is it open and where should they oh, go? Yeah. Oh yeah, we're at Valley Ranch. Okay, um, it's a, we're actually at the Valley Ranch Star Center that we started here in Dallas. Our practice rink, where the offices were, um, we are in the same locker room that we were in. Uh, we just took the training room and turned it into a coach's office, and um, where the where the coaches' room was uh, is now showers and stuff like that. 
So uh, we have our old locker room back to when we were here in, you know, the early 90s. Uh, so, yeah, we're here <clears throat> all weekend. There's, I think there's the four to the age levels. I think the, the 14s, 15s, 16s, and us 17, 18s are all here. So it's, it's we, uh, Rocky Mountain District is being hosted by the Dallas Stars uh, organization this week. Okay, so, so if someone wants to go, they should just search for Rocky Mountain District Tournament at Valley Ranch? Yeah, that's what that, that yeah, they would yeah, or they could okay. just drive there. <laughs> yeah. I mean there's only two sheets of ice. No, that's true. So, that's true. That's true. When you yeah. can you can watch Craig Ludwig in person do his best coaching job and screaming at the other coaches and screaming at his players, right? That does that does happen. And sometimes I have to stay, I'm I'm getting asked to leave the bench every once in a while. Love it. Too. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Craig, thanks as always. All right. Insight and good luck this weekend. And thanks to all of you for listening to another edition of Spits and Suds. Hopefully the stars can put some more points on the board. We'll see. We'll talk to you next week right here on 105.3 The Fan.